we needed to consider one of the most fundamental declarations or truths about God, and that is that God is one. God is one. And uh, today's passage testifies that there is only one true God. You know, Christian, uh, Christian faith is therefore, because we believe in one God, it's monotheistic, right? Mono means one, and or, uh, theistic meaning God. So we are believing in one God. The belief in one God as opposed to polytheistic. The belief in more than one God. And so you may think, pretty obvious, I already know this, right? They sound simple, but it's not that simple, right? Because there is a profound mystery surrounding the nature of God, and it warrants in-depth consideration because we don't really have a really firm uh, grasp of this truth. And... If you, don't, if, you have, if you are not clear about this truth, then we're going to have this erroneous or heretical view of God. And so, you know, today's message may sound technical or very academic, but I think it's important that you have a clear understanding of this fundamental truth. And so the first point, as, you know, verse 4 says, Hero Israel, right? There is only one, the Lord our God, Yahweh our God, the Lord is one, right? And so the first point is that God is a trinity. God is a trinity. God is one, and God is three. What? You may say, what do you mean God is one and God is three? Both statements cannot be true at the same time, can they? You may ask. But the answer is, yes. Yes, they can. God is one, and God is three. You know, the triune nature of God defies our limited, finite understanding. I mean, there's just no way we can really wrap our heads around this truth. How can God be one? How can God be three? That just does not make make sense. It's illogical. But you see, we did not come up with this idea. We did not come up with this concept to, to, to confuse you in any way. This is how God has revealed himself to us. And we believe what he has revealed to us about himself is true no matter how incredible it seems. And we, have to, uh, we have to acknowledge that there are divine mysteries that we as his creation cannot fully comprehend. His purposes and his ways are often not fully known to us. And we just have to accept that fact. There are a lot of things about God, how he operates, what he does, what his purposes are, a lot of times we are at a loss. We just do not know. We can't fully understand what he is really up to. As fallen and depraved uh, beings, 
we actually want and we demand answers from God. Right? Because we want to know. I, God, I want to know what you are really up to. I want to know whether I'm going to get this job or I want to know who I'm going to get married to. What, what kind of life am I going to have? Right? Are, are, um, are my kids going to be okay? Are they going to really grow up and pretty be successful? What's going to happen with this world? A lot of things. We want answers from God. And at times we are like, I want it now, God. We demand it from him. In the end, however, our posture before him should be that of humility and submission. Because we have to understand once again that we are not God. We are not sovereign. We are his creation. We are to be grateful for what God has given us in this life. God revealed himself as a triune God. Three in one. It's important to understand that the word uh, one, that word, when we say God is one, that word one comes from the Hebrew word ikad, which often refers to a unity of more than one person. It's important to understand this concept that when we say God is one, that word one in Hebrew word, it often refers to a unit of more than one person. Genesis chapter 2, 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There, one flesh. But it's really the union, unit, union of husband and wife. There, that word is the same word is used. That regarded, even there are two separate beings, but they, they are, would be one flesh, signifying the spiritual union. And also Ezra chapter 3, verse 1, says, People of Israel gathered together as, oh, when the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man in Jerusalem. Once again, the same word is used as one man, as they came together, fully united. The military units, right, a battalion or a company, whatever the unit that they may have, they come together, even though they are consist of many uh, members, but they are one unit. Body of Christ, one head, different parts, but we are one body. That's the concept that we have to understand. The word Trinity comes from the Latin word Trinitas, meaning three in one. The Bible affirms that the one, the Ikad, true God, exists as a Trinity. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. They are, so when we talk about God, Three persons in one Godhead. There are three distinct persons who are distinguishable from one another. The Father is not the Son, and yet, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, and yet they fully share the same divine nature. 
or essence and relate to one another in this unbroken fellowship. So they are three distinct persons. They are not uh, just all Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all jumbled up together. But they are three distinct persons. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each is fully God because they share the exact same divine essence. The Father is not a third of God. And God is not this three-headed monster with one body. In that Godhead, there are three distinct persons, and they fully share the same divine essence. So God is three united, co-eternal persons without separate existence. So once again, I know this is like, how is it even possible? Right? There are three distinct persons, but their existence is not separate. In terms of their divine nature, they are fully God. So the Son and the Holy Spirit are no less God than God the Father. Son and the Holy Spirit have the same substance as the Father. Um, Jehovah's Witness, they claim that Jesus is an inferior God. Yeah, they're separate. And God the Father and God the Son is an... So God the Father is the supreme, superior God. And under Him is the Son, who is an inferior God. He's God, but it's an inferior God. And that's heresy, meaning false doctrine. I remember, uh, and we, we call it Arianism. And so, like, I remember um, it was soon after I graduated from seminary, uh, and I, I was staying home, and then somebody was knocking on the door, and then I saw a couple people with, uh, you know, the tracts and uh, whatever Bible. And immediately, I was thinking, hmm, this could be either Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. And sure enough, it was Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, so obviously, you know, they, there's a trainer and a trainee that tag along and just hear and how they can, he's learning, right? And so, so the trainer and I, I was like talking. And so there, you know, he was saying, you know, did you know in the Bible um, that Jesus is an inferior God? That in, in the Bible, if you look at the original language, right? that when it was referring to Jesus, they uh, used a small letter, a small letter G, not capital letter G. And I was thinking, how do you, how do you know that? that the English, uh, English was not the, the language that they used in the Old Testament, I mean, New Testament. And I was like, yeah, in Greek it is. Oh, yeah? And so this was, mind you, right after I graduated from seminary, and I had the Greek Bible, right? It's like, so you're saying that uh, the, in the Greek letter, the alphabet, that there is a, a, a small, a small letter and capital letter, right? Yeah. I was like, let me see, right? Because I, I learned my Greek, right? And uh, the word God, that it starts with theos, uh, theta. You guys know the theta? Like, you know, sine, cosine, tangent, theta thing? That's the letter, right? And there is no difference between small letter and a capital letter uh, in, in theta, right? It's same theta. And... Uh, I brought it out, and then I was showing, okay, this, here's what you said about you know, Jesus being 
you know, the lesser guy, small letter G, or, you know, and I showed them, and they couldn't answer anything, right? And I was like, come at me, bro. Like, you know, like, let's talk about this, right? Uh, I mean, I, I know what I'm talking, I mean, it's, at least I learned. Have you learned this, right? And so he obviously tried to, you know, quickly change the subject, but, you know, I was on, I was like, so fired up, and I was like, you know, whatever that they were saying, I was like, no, let's see, let's see it in the scripture, and what you are saying is true. So I nailed them, right? I felt so good, and... Um, Actually, I wanted to hold them on so that they didn't, I don't want them to keep going to other Christians and confuse them, right? Um, but you know, I invited them in, but they, they didn't want to come inside, and so they just left. You know, thanks, but no thanks, right? Um, and so we have to be very careful because how we understand who God is, it can, if you have a flawed uh, and erroneous understanding, we are believing in a heretical teaching. Right? So we have to be very careful. Because, they, uh, you know, so they, because you know, even the Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe in a small letter G, not taught in the scripture. That's why we consider them heretical. Right? Anyone who denies the Trinity is a false teacher and a heretic, no matter how persuasive he or she may sound. Now, it's important to note, note that the word Trinity it's not found in the scripture. There is nowhere. You, you can just look through it just from Genesis 1 to Revelation. You are not going to find the word Trinity in the Bible. But then why do we talk about this all the time? Well, I mean, first, uh, it was used by Tertullian. He is an early church father uh, from the second century to describe the triune nature of God. So that's how the word Trinity was introduced and ever since, we've been describing the nature of God and just talking, when we talk about God, we say God is a trinity. He's a, he has a triune nature. And the same Bible declares God to be one, as in today's passage, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. But the same Bible also says refers to three different persons as God. And it really starts from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, right? Do we have that? Yeah. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We all know this. Um, but there, even God, right, in Hebrew, is uh, Hebrew words Elohim, Elohim, is a plural noun. It's not a singular. So in English, obviously, it's a singular noun, God, right? But in Hebrew, even though it's, uh, it's uh, the Elohim, the word used to designate God is a plural. There's a singular noun that is not used. But the plural noun was used. So God, in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face, of the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there, once again, the Spirit of God, a separate person, was mentioned. Elohim was mentioned, and the Spirit of Elohim was also hovering. So obviously, we are not talking about the same exact person, two separate beings. So even in, uh, uh, in um, 
from the very beginning of Genesis, we see that God is one, and yet He's revealed as different uh, persons. And also, we all know about God creating man, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image. There, once again, when God was talking, right, he said, let us. It didn't say, let me make man in my image. But it says, God said, Elohim, plural noun, said, let us make man in our image. We already see that God in the one Godhead, that there are different persons. And um, Acts chapter 5, I know right before, just Rob and I briefly had this conversation. Acts chapter 5 says this. But a, na- but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Because we are talking about in the early church as people, they were being converted in Jerusalem, they basically sold everything that they had. They lived a communal life. And they gave everything that they had to the church. And the church would just, uh, you know, give it out to people who are, who are in need, the poor, the widows, um, orphans, and things like that. So they were doing that. So they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he was kind of, you know, his wheel was uh, turning, and said, oh, maybe I should, I don't, I don't want to give all of it. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived uh, contrived this deed in your heart. You have not lied to the man, but to who? God. In verse 3, it says, you lie to the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, he says, you lie to God. Peter is saying, the Holy Spirit is God. And we all know about Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, known as the Great Commission, Do we have that? I think, yeah. So it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, well-known verse here, but even there, notice that the name is singular, and yet it is ascribed to three different persons, right? The verse does not say, Baptizing them in the names, in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? But it says, not in the names of the, but it says in the name, singular, of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But in their one name, because the three are one. It speaks to the unity and trinity of God. Uh, oftentimes, you know, I use benediction, right? It, you know, you probably have noticed, like the bene- benediction that I often use is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It says, 
we have that? If not, it's fine. Uh, may the grace of our, uh, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, lo- and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Right? As a minister of the gospel, I am invoking the blessings of the triune God on all of us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, referring to invoking the Son, love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the triune God, right? So in this, um, and this literary structure indicates absolute equality, right? The Son is mentioned even before the Father. It would be blasphemous to mention the Son and the Spirit in the same breath with God the Father, if they were not equal with him. Paul would have never mentioned them in the same breath, if indeed God the Father is the the supreme God, and Jesus is next in line, and then the Holy Spirit is the one under those two. But the fact that even the mentioning of Jesus Christ before God the Father and the benediction, it speaks to the fact that they are just as God, fully God, as God the Father. You see, it's theological, even in the the simple blessing or the benediction that you may receive. We're talking about a triune God and a God who is co-eternal, co-equal with one another. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are of one divine essence and dwell in perfect equality and unity. It's not one person revealing himself in distinct ways at different times. It's not like this one guy trying to just you know, wear different hats or you know, wear different masks and manifest himself in different ways. You know, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Do we have that? Yeah. In those days, Jesus came up, came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So even in the, uh, when he was baptized, we see the three persons of the Godhead. It's not like, you know, when Jesus came up and then quickly, you know, just, uh, just made everybody blind and just go up to heaven and say, oh, you know, you know, my son, who I am well pleased, and then just quickly also just turn, turn into a dove, something like a dove spear coming upon this puppet that is Jesus. No, it's, it wasn't like that. There are three distinct persons. At the same time, God is not three independent persons or three different gods. That's why this is so, uh, it's just really hard for us to fully grasp. That God, we are not saying God is not three different gods, right? Nor, as I said, God is one person switching off and revealing himself in th- uh, three different forms, or uh, what we call modalism, right? God of scriptures exists simultaneously as Three distinct and equal persons who are one in their divine nature or essence. God the Father has never been 
exclusively God at any point or putting on a different mask. When we were talking about God, it wasn't only the God the Father, even in the Old Testament, referring to all three persons in one Godhead. He's not masquerading because they share the numerically one divine nature and essence. No one person is greater or lesser or inferior or superior to another in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not less than the Father or the Son. Just because he is mentioned last, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, does not mean that Holy Spirit is somehow any less of a God than God the Father, or that God, uh, God the Spirit is uh, less important. He's fully God, just as the Father is, or the Son is. They are perfectly equal because they fully share in this numerically one divine essence. It's not even in just that God takes a, God the Father takes a 50% of the power and the Son takes a 30% and the Spirit takes a 20%. It's nothing like that. They are perfectly equal. There is no subordination because one is inferior to another person in the Godhead as each is fully God. So we have to understand that. So God is, a, uh, God is a trinity. And the second point that I want to bring out to you is the functional difference or the same essence but different functions. Now, up to this point, many of you guys already know this, right? I already know this. While the three persons of the trinity are eternally equal, they may manifest themselves in different ways and may carry out different functions. Now, this is where I'm going to be very theological. Right? So, hold on. Right? So, please listen carefully. Have you heard of the ontological trinity and economical, uh, yeah, economic trinity? Have you guys heard of that term? The ontological trinity and the economic trinity. Is, do we have that? No, maybe not. Um, so, if I asked, right, what's the difference between the ontological trinity and the economic trinity, what would you say? Could you answer that? Because the d- distinction is very important. Right? Now stay with me, right? I'm not trying to confuse you or teach you a heretical doctrine, right? So now, ontology is a study of being, right? The nature or the essence or the being, right? So when we talk about the ontological trinity, we are talking about the trinity in itself without regard to God's works of creation and redemption. So the whole point that I talked about, God is Trinity, and the first point that I was talking about is basically was the ontological Trinity because I focused on the nature of his being, the three persons who together are one being. That's what I devoted myself to. That that part, just talking about God being co-equal, co-eternal, right? Three distinct persons in one Godhead. That's the ontological uh, trinity that we are talking about. On the other hand, when we speak of the economic trinity, we are dealing with the activity of God and the roles of the three persons with regard to creation and redemption. So most oftentimes we usually focus on the ontological trinity, right? God having the same divine essence. Three distinct persons in one Godhead. 
But there's another way to describe the trinity, the economic trinity, is really talking about different functions, carrying out different roles in the history of redemption. The artist spoke, as you know, I cannot really explain this like you know, he, he can. The artist spoke said this, and I quote, in terms of the ontological trinity, the three persons are distinguished by what, uh, what, by what the Westminster Larger Catechism calls their personal properties. It then goes on to define these personal properties. It is proper to the Father to beget the Son, and to the Son to be begotten of the Father, and to the Holy Ghost to proceed from the Father and the Son from all eternity. So you're just talking about the, uh, this, the three distinct beings. The Father begets the Son, the Son is begotten by the Father, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son eternally, from all eternity. So that is the, uh, the essence of um, and the, the ontological um, trinity. With regard to the economic trinity, he continues, we distinguish among the three persons of the Godhead in terms of their roles in creation and redemption. So the economic trinity, when we talk about the economic trinity, we are talking about different roles that they play. It is the Father who sends the Son into the world for our redemption. It is the Son who acquires our redemption for us. It is the Spirit who applies that redemption to us. We do not have three gods. We have one God in three persons, and the three persons are distinguished in the economy of redemption in terms of what they do, right? So, <clears throat> so my, this second point is about the economic trinity. We are talking about functional, not uh, essential, subordination. The son, so I said, yeah, essentially in their being, the son, father, and the Holy Spirit, they're equal, they're perfectly equal, but functionally, because they carry out different roles, the son submits to the father's will in giving to the cross, in going to the cross. And the spirit is then sent to indwell us and testify of Christ. Yet all three are involved in all the work from, very early, from the very point of creation. The spirit of God was involved. The son of God, you know, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah, um, yeah that's it. In the beginning was the Word, referring to Christ, the Son, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he was with God, and he himself is God, right? And the Spirit of God was there from the beginning. So in the economic sense, economic trinity, we're talking about different roles and functions. That's the difference between the ontological trinity and the economic trinity. I know this is very academic, and, uh, but you know, it's important for us to uh, make that distinction. God is perfectly equal. The spirit is not any less of a God or less important than God the Father, or that God the Father is the, the most uh, powerful one, and then the Holy Spirit is the least powerful of, all th of the three persons. No, they're perfectly equal but because of, they carry out different functions, the son submits willingly, voluntarily, lays down his glory and submits to the father's will. Not because he's less of a God than the father, 
but you voluntarily. So there's a, that because of their different uh, functions and roles, there is that subordination. But that doesn't mean that they are less of a God than the Father. The last one is a word of caution. So most illustrations used to explain the Trinity are woefully inadequate. And they can lead to heresy. Now people have been trying to explain the Trinity with various illustrations. The thing is, these illustrations do more harm than good. For example, Trinity is sometimes compared to water that exists in three different forms, right? Liquid, ice, and steam. And actually, I heard this illustration myself when I was in college, right? And I thought that was a really cool explanation. You know, how, we, how can we understand God, Trinity, God, God the Trinity? Think of, yeah, think of, uh, you know, just uh, water, right? It's, it exists in, in, uh, in you know, it, when it's really cold, it exists as ice. And when it's in room temperature, it exists as, uh, as water. But, you know, when it gets really hot, heated up, then it exists as a steam, right? That's how the Trinity, God the Trinity is. It's God is like water. So when I first heard that, I was like, whoa, that is a pretty good illustration, right? But you see, I didn't know any better. But you see, what? Uh, but that is really a distortion of the Trinity. What it's really saying is God is one person who takes three different forms. As I said before, the modalism, right? And there is, there is essentially a heresy called yeah, modalism, right? Uh, modalism says God is one person who takes on different modes of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Some say there is only one God that has existed in three manifestations. Manifested as the Father in the Old Testament, the Son in incarnation, and the Spirit uh, in the New Testament, and the Spirit in the age of the church up to now. There are three different aspects or modes or manifestations of one God. Actually, it is a heresy. Because it's really saying that God is only one person, you know, just showing up in different modes, in different ways. That is heresy. Because the God of the, of the Scripture says He is one God, and yet He's three distinct persons. Right? So we have to be really careful about this. So Paul Washer says this: It's better to simply affirm the oneness and threeness of God without explanation or illustration, then to give an explanation or illustration that's misleading or even heretical. It's a profound mystery that is beyond our understanding. It's better to leave it at that than to give an erroneous teaching or illustration. Only the Holy Spirit can give us faith to believe the truth. And I agree with him. Instead of trying to explain this mystery of the Trinity in ways that we can understand, try to compare it to something, such an imperfect and very flawed way to illustrate it and basically uh, confusing or just allowing us to just uh, believe in something that is heretical, right? Simply say God is a 
you know, God is a, tri- a, tri- a triune God. Three distinct persons in one God and leave it at that and trying to somehow come up with some kind of illustration or some kind of way to explain it because any attempt will be incomplete and it can easily lead to erroneous or heretical understanding. We may be, without unwittingly, we may be propagate a heretical teaching. You have to be very careful. So, you know, I think uh, we have to really be careful in what we believe. And so, I know this, uh, this was very um, academic, very theological, but I think it is, it's important for us to understand. When we say we believe in one God, right, we believe in a God who manifests himself, uh, who reveals himself as three distinct persons, but we do not believe in three, three gods. One God and three distinct persons. And that, may that be our understanding and belief going forward. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come to you this morning, and as we uh, turn to you, Lord, so often we talk about you as one God, uh, and God who is Trinity. And yet, Lord, we must confess that we have a flawed understanding or even wrong understanding of the triune nature of God. Maybe some of us had the understanding that God is a one person manifesting himself in three different aspects or three different modes. Uh, but that's not who you are. God, as a one God, you are also three distinct persons, and yet you are not three different gods because you share the same, exact same essence. And so, Lord, as difficult as it may sound, incomprehensible as it may sound, that's how you revealed yourself to us, through your word. May we receive it by faith, because your word is the truth, and that's how you revealed yourself, and that settles it. We believe it, and it's truth. So grant us the right understanding of who you are and continue to lead us.